everyone, it's Janine Stanley, Director of Customer Communications here at Ira and Football Fan. We are going to learn a little bit about football today, courtesy of one of our explorers who actually asked for a Football 101. If you're totally blind, if you maybe vaguely remember football from your youth, but now we're coming back to the game and you're kind of wondering what all of these terms are, we have some football experts here to tell you from that Real Blind Tech Show podcast and the Blind Fantasy Football League mini documentary on Yahoo Sports, it's Brian Fischler. Joining Brian is Liz Losa from Yahoo Sports. She is a podcaster and radio personality for Yahoo Sports, and we are very excited to have her with us today. So without any further explanation, here we are with Liz and Brian. So happy to be here uh, with the Ira community. And I know Liz is new to Ira, but we're so thrilled to have Liz Loza here today as well to help us give a, a football 101 to those blind people out there that may be new to football. So welcome in, Liz. How are you doing today? I am doing incredibly well. I'm honored to be part of this effort. Thank you for reaching out to me, Brian. This is really exciting for me that we can talk football, but really illustrate what uh, it looks like and what some of the rules mean so that more people can embrace the sport that you and I really, really love and have, you know, made into quite a hobby of ours. Hobby and careers, actually, for both of us. Yes. Who would have ever thought? We're actually talking about real football today because as strange as it was to me, and it might have been strange to you, there are a lot of people out there in the blindness community that, you know, have never seen a football game. So we want to make sure for this upcoming Super Bowl in your backyard in Los Angeles, they're good with all the rules. And we figured, you know, for some of the people out there, they might know all this, but there is a decent amount of people. And I figured start with the most basic thing. How long is a football field? Well, lengthwise, what the players will be running down, it's a hundred yards and width wise, that's side to side. It's uh, 50 yards and the players have got to stay in bounds for the play to count. That is a very good point. I will say I was walking Radio Row earlier this week, um, and it is going to be an exciting game. The energy having the L.A. Rams at their home stadium is palpable. So I'm very excited that we can help bring this to life for a lot of people in your community. Um, Obviously, the football players are key to the game itself, and there are 22 players on the field at all times, 11 on offense and 11 on defense. And I expect these offenses to be very explosive in this game, Liz. And every time they score a touchdown, you know, I always want to say seven points, but to the new listeners out there, people new to football, actually, every time you get the ball across the end zone line, that's just six points. Then you get to kick an extra point for one point. But should the offense stall where you have three downs to get a first down and a fourth down does occur, if you are in what is known as field goal range and for, you know, the Cincinnati kicker who went to my alma mater, the university of Florida, that's probably going to be from about 55 yards out and closer. The team could attempt to kick the ball through the uprights, which will then result in three points for the offense. 
Yeah, football is a pretty complicated game, especially with the two play callers, Sean McVay and Zach Taylor, that we're going to see in this Super Bowl. Very uh, creative play callers. So things are going to get a little bit uh, hairy, but also exciting because of the various rules, the strategies, and as I mentioned, these unique play calls that both of these coaches are going to be calling out to their 22 players on the field. Yeah, 22 players on the field, and that's an awful lot of players. Now, the offense has 11 and the defense, so we figured we should familiarize you a little bit with the offense, and the offense Football over the last 20 years has really moved to a much more offensive game. And the offense will have 11 players. And you could correct me if I'm wrong here, Liz, but most of the time you're going to have five linemen. And these players are ineligible to catch and move the ball forward. They are there to block and protect the quarterback. So after that, that leaves you with six players. You got the quarterback, the most important player on the field. You'll probably have... uh, a running back. Well, you'll definitely have a running back. Then you'll probably have three to four wide receivers as well as a tight end. These 11 players will make up this. Sometimes they'll bring in a six player to block. And if that's happening, most likely you're going to have a running play. Correct, Liz? Yes, that is usually the way it goes. Um, You mentioned the quarterback. He is the most highly paid (laughs) member of the team. But that is because, as you said, he is the most important player on the field. He is the captain of the offense. He typically will receive the play call from the sideline. We talked about Sean McVay and Zach Taylor, right? They'll call in the play, usually uh, through a speaker in his headset. And then he will relay that play that's come through his headset inside of his helmet to the rest of the team in the huddle and the team will break the huddle and line up in one of my goodness, 100 different kinds (laughs) of formations. Each team runs a different style of offense. Some more common names of offenses include the West coast offense. You'll hear that a ton fun and gun eye formation for today's super bowl, both the Rams and the Bengals will most of the time come out of the huddle and go into the shotgun formation. Now, the shotgun formation has the quarterback five yards behind the line of scrimmage. Old school football had the quarterback right under the center for the snap. That's why uh, you often hear a quarterback, you know, he's playing under center. But now we got some newfangled stuff, so he's five yards back. As football has evolved over the years into a more, as Brian mentioned, passing game, offensively loaded game, most teams run their offenses out of this shotgun formation. It just gives the quarterback uh, more choices because he can run, he can pass, he just gets a bigger vision of the field. And we have all of these mobile quarterbacks now in the NFL. So there are just more uh, opportunities available to them when they're a little further away from the line of scrimmage. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on on the football field before that snap happens, both visually as well as audibly. So obviously our listeners won't be able to see all the players running around and changing formations as the quarterback barks out several different cadences. And one of the more famous ones several years ago that everybody's now familiar with is Omaha, Omaha from Peyton Manning and everything, but uh, not sure if you'll hear anything Omaha today, but as Liz mentioned, the sidelines nowadays, they have the quarterback has a uh, little headset in his uh, helmet where they will relay in the plays. 
And what will happen before the snap is the quarterback will look out at the defense and see what scheme they're running. And due to the scheme, the offense may have a run play that they're looking to run, but he might not like what he sees out there. So he can call what's an audible. And what you'll be hearing on the field is several different things that make no sense to you or me, but that's the offense in codes telling all the players how to line up, where they should be, what route to run. And what you have here is they're just trying to get 10 yards. It seems so simple to you and me, but believe me, you've got 11 guys on the other side trying to stop them from getting those 10 yards. Now the offense has three downs to get those 10 yards, but as offenses have modernized a lot of teams and both of these teams, I think we'll see them on fourth down. The offense could choose to either go for it to try and get the remaining yards for the first down or they could punt the ball the way to the other team. Liz, I think at least four to five times today, we'll see offenses going for it on fourth down. What do you think? I think that is very likely given the, well, both the aggressivity with which these two head coaches like to play, but also the stakes here. Sean McVay obviously went to the Super Bowl. The Wonderkin, who's beginning his own coaching tree, as evidenced by Zach Taylor, who's now the head coach of the Bengals and numerous other placements throughout the league. Um, and when he went to the Super Bowl three years ago, failed underwhelmingly, <laughs> could not score a touchdown against the New England Patriots. So I feel like, especially at home at SoFi Stadium, Sean McVay wants to bring his best, particularly, I mentioned Zach Taylor, right? Zach Taylor was his former quarterback's coach and worked with him. So there's a little... Um, former student teacher rivalry going on here. And they both come from a similar school of um, high octane offenses. And, you know, to that point, the offenses nowadays are more heavily focused on passing the ball. Teams used to be more run based, right? Like when my bears won the super bowl back in 1985, it was all <laughs> about the ground game. Walter Payton. As, that's right. That's right. Well, he actually didn't score. Uh, a touchdown in the Super Bowl, which was a sticking point for them. The fridge took it in, right? That was a sticking point for him. But that, as yep. the game as the game has evolved, so has the high-powered passing attacks and the fans, and of course the networks, love that because there are these high-scoring games that are full of ping-pong matches back and forth, scoring, scoring, and that's exciting for everyone. So the league is certainly in favor of these high scoring matches because it gets more people, you know, glued into the game on their television sets or their mobile devices. Both the Bengals have such high powered attacks. So we are expecting a high scoring game here. I believe Vegas has set the over under at about 49 and a half currently. So that's usually, mm. usually a, a pretty good back and forth here. Yeah, yeah, I'm expecting the game to be pretty high scoring. And the two names that will lead those high scoring offenses that people should get familiar with, Joe Burrow for the Cincinnati Bengals and Matthew Stafford for the Los Angeles Rams. Want to make sure I don't say St. Louis Rams because the Rams used to be in St. Louis. Now, I hate to put you on the spot here, Liz, but for our blind female listeners, you got to tell me, Stafford Burrow. I imagine they're both two pretty good-looking guys. I don't. I I view them both honestly as quarterbacks. Now, if the 49ers were in the Super Bowl and Jimmy G oh, was quote okay. under center, I might have a different answer for you. But uh, 
Joe Burrow, obviously in his second season only, really remarkable. The Cincinnati Bengals, I should point out, by the way, have never in the entire history of their franchise won a Super Bowl. Joe Burrow is bringing them back. They, I believe, played last time in the Super Bowl was 1989. They haven't made it, and they lost, right? So they haven't been to the big game in quite a while. And Joe Burrow, in his rookie season last year, tore his ACL. So it's quite a triumph that in such a small amount of time, he's been able to turn around and lead this squad. A lot of that credit should be due to Zach Taylor and the way the front office has built this uh, team since Burrow's addition onto it. Um, And Matthew Stafford, this, the narrative is pretty intriguing for him as well, as he's now in his first year with Sean McVay after having spent the entirety of his career before this moment in Detroit, a historically losing franchise. Yeah. And those quarterbacks, you know, talking more about Joe Burrow, the last time the Bengals were in the Super Bowl, you had the original Joe cool Joe Montana with what less than two minutes left. And they're, 49ers freaking out with 80 yards to go looks to the sideline and says, Hey, while he's in the huddle, is that John candy eating popcorn? And now I think if Joe Burrow wins this Super Bowl, we'll have a new generation of a Joe cool Liz. Oh, there is nobody cooler than Joe Burrow. I mean, he has been as advertised so precise, his processing coming back after the Titans game, uh, what was that now? It'll be three weeks ago. He was sacked nine times in that game and the Bengals still won. Um, You know, I think Joe Cool, the branding that he has entered the league into was kissed into existence when we saw him lighting that celebratory cigar at the end of the (laughs) LSU Clemson game when he won the national championship at the college level. So a very cool dude. You can feel the vibes coming off of him, but we shouldn't give all of the glory to the quarterbacks here because both of these squads have some really remarkable wide receivers. Um, they are all of the speed, the amount of yak that stands for yards after the catch that both teams receivers are able to frankly pad their quarterback stats with is bananas. Like it record breaking, frankly, um, you want to size, you also, you don't, you want speed for your receivers, but you also want size for your receivers so that they can jump the defensive player for the ball. It's called high pointing. They can get high into the air and reach, climb the ladder, if you will, high point the ball and bring it down. Um, and you want speed so that they can blow past these defensive players. And T Higgins for the Bengals is a perfect example of a size speed prospect who can reach really high and get those contested catches. Um, Jamar chase and Cooper cup are examples of speed demons who can run these crisp routes. We're really elusive. And there's a phrase called breaking ankles. Cause they'll just take an angle and blow past a defender and the defender is left grabbing for his feet and sucking wind. Yeah. It's an exciting bunch of wide receivers and you know, not to go all fantasy on you, but it's kind of the one-headed rushing attack, which we love in fantasy, versus the potential three-headed Rams attack. The running back can have the ball handed off to him by the quarterback or thrown to him. And I think the running back for Cincinnati is going to be heavily involved and wouldn't be surprised if he ends up falling into the touchdown a couple of times this game. Joe Mixon walking away with that MVP trophy if he does. Ooh. Ooh, that is yeah. a bold take, Brian. 
It is. If he gets in there twice, I'm calling him for MVP. And, you know, they've been uh, throwing the ball more to Mixon a lot in the playoffs as well, because there were a couple games this season where I think he didn't even have a catcher. He had like one catch or two, and they've really been utilizing him more out of the backfield, hitting him uh, with the check down pass. Now the Rams, I have no clue with that three-headed monster because I read yesterday, not only do you have Cam Akers uh, out of Florida State returning in unhuman-like time from the Achilles tear, then you have Sony Michelle who was picked up, up off the scrap heap out of New England, who I had cut several years ago from my dynasty fantasy team. And I believe Henderson may even return from his injury to play in the Super Bowl. So I have no clue what we're going to see out of the Rams rushing attack. What do you think, Liz? Who are you leaning towards the Rams leaning on? Sean McVay tends to favor a particular a workhorse back, a, a one a one running back backfield for the most part, right? Like he, he likes to lead with a guy. And I think it's, sure. you know, Cam Akers hasn't been that efficient. His yards per carry metrics haven't been that fantastic over the postseason, but he has looked explosive and flashed. Um, so I feel like given, you know, the, the way he's come back from this Achilles tear and just sort of the, the vibes of this team, he's going to lead the rushing attack. Um, and I think you'll probably see Sony Michelle, maybe take more goal line opportunities. We should also mention the tight ends for both of these teams. Now a tight end is a player who can stay in and help block or go out to receive a pass. Most teams make use of one tight end on most players, but teams can bring in as many as three tight ends on plays. But again, a tight end is a is a player who can line up with the offensive line and either stay in there to block or protect the quarterback or run a route and usually catch a ball over the middle. They're generally larger sized, really good red zone weapons who can box out often former basketball players with those big frames. It is interesting in this particular matchup because CJ Uzoma, who is the Bengals' primary tight end, is you know, saying he's going to be on the field, but he has a sprained MCL, which is a pretty significant knee injury. Meanwhile, Tyler Higby, who's the Rams tight end one, is also banged up. He did not practice all of last week, and it's dicey as to whether or not he's going to be healthy enough to suit up for the Super Bowl. Um, so both of these teams have a similar deficiency at the same position due to injury. The tight end wide receiver running backs, uh, I guess, always make up what I always hear them call the skill players. I think I'm always surprised that the offensive linemen never say, hey, you know, I've got some skills myself. You try blocking a three to 400 pound guy coming at you in less than four seconds. But the running back wide receiver and tight ends always seem to get uh, nicknamed the skill players. But uh, well, that's uh, pretty much the offense portion of what you'll see in the Super Bowl. But the defensive players, you know, while the names might not be as famous, the defense will be just as important as the offense in the Super Bowl. And we figured we should familiarize you with uh, some of the terms you'll be hearing on the defensive side of the ball. So the defense, you know, and I am not an expert when it comes to defenses, but you've got three common types of defenses, which are known as the 3-4, the 4-3, the 3-3-5. And what that means when you say 3-4, that means you have three defensive linemen, four linebackers, 
you have 11 players total. So your remaining players will be out covering the wide receivers, running back, that sort of thing. And I think both of these defenses, Liz, as I'm not as familiar with defense, I believe they run the 4-3 style of defense. I think that's right, yeah. These players, now your defensive linemen, as well as your linebackers, will be putting some pressure there on the quarterback. And if it's anything like that Tennessee game that uh, Liz mentioned, Joe Burrow could be running for his life and everything because the defensive players, they want to sack that quarterback pretty bad. And particularly the defensive linemen. Those are the guys who will be rushing the quarterback, trying to tackle him before he even passes the ball. The tackle, if if they do get to the quarterback and tackle him before the quarterback is able to release the ball, that is known as a sack. Defensive players take a lot of pride in sacking the quarterback. In fact, there are incentives laid into their contracts for hitting a particular number of sacks. But some of the rules that the NFL has installed to, you know, improve player safety have maybe made it a little bit more difficult for these linemen to get after the opposing quarterback. Um, But it is still pretty cool to see, for instance, Aaron Donald of the LA Rams, who is maybe the best defensive lineman in the league right now, get after a quarterback and do a celebratory sack dance. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that's something the Rams fans will be wanting to see a lot of in the Super Bowl. And unfortunately, due to those rule changes, the days of your 85 Bears are long and gone because they really have made it uh, a point where it's kind of tough to even touch the quarterback nowadays or you get one of those yellow hankies thrown at you but the linebackers will be also assisting those defensive linemen those are the guys that play in the middle of the defense now the linebackers do depending on the play call they'll either be rushing the quarterback or dropping into coverage helping that secondary and the defensive backs cover the wide receivers and running backs You talked about defensive backs. Those are either cornerbacks or safeties, and they spend most of their time in the secondary, which is the back half of the defense. These players will spend most of their time covering wide receivers, maybe a running back who is running a route to catch a pass, but they can also run the quarterback. But again, most of the time, they are assigned to the wide receivers or sometimes the tight end. Their job is mostly to clamp down any pass catchers and prevent them from catching the ball and moving the offense further forward up the field. Yeah, and just like on the offense, it's typically the middle linebacker. He'll be uh, barking out a series of commands, and those are coverage schemes where it tells the defensive players whether they're going to be playing a zone defense or a man-to-man defense, just like the offense There's hundreds, if not thousands, of different lineups, play calls, and we could get into all of them, but Liz has a very busy week covering the Super Bowl, and we'd probably keep on going talking through the Super Bowl if we were to cover all these defensive play calls and audibles. So, Liz, uh, you know, we touched on it briefly. You know, you can barely touch the quarterback nowadays, and the refs, hopefully in the Super Bowl, they won't be too quick throwing those yellow hankies. Now, our listeners won't be able to see the yellow hankies, but you'll probably hear the whistles, as most of our listeners will probably be listening on the radio. You'll hear a whistle blowing, and that probably means that there was a penalty called on the play. Can't go into all the penalties, 
But why don't you tell the listeners some of the more common penalties we might hear called during Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah, one of the most common ones on offense in particular is a false start. And this is when a player starts before the ball is snapped to the quarterback. So makes sense, right? They started too soon. It was a false start. That makes a lot of sense. Also, this is a big one, holding. Holding is when an offensive lineman holds a defensive player, preventing them from getting to the quarterback. Now, those can get a little bit, you know, can be grabbing on to the collar of the jersey, which is called a horse collar. Sometimes they grab a helmet. There's different degrees of holding penalties. But uh, for the most part, you know, you're going to hear a lot of holding because especially if you're protecting Joe Burrow, I have a feeling those offensive linemen are trying to hold the Rams defensive front back as much as possible. And sometimes it's better to take the penalty than let the defensive lineman get to the quarterback and potentially, you know, force a fumble or even injure the quarterback. Most of the penalties you'll probably see will be called on the defense because the NFL has made it a more offensive game. Some of the more common penalties you will hear called on the defense, uh, probably roughing the passer. And that doesn't necessarily always mean that they really have roughs the passer. I've actually watched games where they've actually just gave them a little tap on the shoulder and that yellow flag has come out because the game has really changed towards safety, especially at the quarterback position. Another penalty you'll probably hear a lot of this game, defensive pass interference as they want the game to be more offensive. They've given a lot more room. It's not like when Jerry Rice was playing and the defender had his hands all over him. The defensive players could no longer do that. So you'll hear probably a lot of defensive pass interference penalties called. You'll hear holding on the defense. That's when they're holding the offensive player, preventing them from completing their route or getting upfield. You'll probably hear uh, offsides because it's going to be loud in that stadium. And even though they're playing in LA's backyard, we've seen that the Rams fans sometimes could be overrun by the opposing team's fans. And a new rule that's been instituted this year, which hopefully we won't see called in the Super Bowl, as I really think it's a penalty that the NFL may want to look into getting rid of because nobody really knows why they call it. I've been trying to figure out how come when Kansas City's Tyree Hill does a backflip after he scores an 80-yard touchdown, how he never gets hit with a taunting penalty. Mm -hmm. Uh, taunting is something they've now instituted in the NFL and it's really a judgment call by the referee and we'd really hate to see the Super Bowl change uh, strides on a taunting call in this game but they the the days of the in-your-face football they're trying to move away from that they want it to be uh, better sportsmanship in the league and I don't know if that's something you really could control in today's NFL. I think when you have a game as big as the Super Bowl, I mean, the Super Bowl is perhaps the biggest pop culture, not just sports, but pop culture event of the year for Americans. Um, so I feel like you want as much pageantry and celebration for the biggest game of the season and the biggest event of the calendar year. So hopefully I agree with you. They'll chill on the taunting a little bit. And hopefully both of these teams will um, – be good sportsmen and not do anything too flagrant or offensive anyway. I've always hated extra points so much that I, I said, you know, why not? You get the six points for the touchdown. Then you get all 11 guys that do a celebratory dance together and you decide it's <laughs> zero, one or two points, but that unfortunately will not be part of the game. No, or I don't probably, think you're going to go for that. 
No, but you do have special teams as well that we should touch on just a little. And special teams uh, comes in. They're the teams that uh, will be, and that's also 11 on 11. They will be kicking the ball off at the beginning of the game. They will be kicking the ball off again at the as the second half uh, begins to start. The special teams also includes punting the ball when a team does not convert a first down uh, after three tries and they're not in scoring position to attempt a field goal, which is also part of special teams. Right now, the new football listener is like, I think my head is going to explode from all this. Well, but basically, special teams means kicking the ball. If you are kicking the ball, you are on special teams. That explains it much better and everything. So special teams, that could always, you know, a big special teams play can really change the flow of the game. And we've seen that happen several times in playoffs and Super Bowls. I think field goals, and we should mention uh, the kickers for both of these teams, particularly the Bengals rookie kicker, Evan McPherson, who has ice water running through his veins. I mean, this kid does not feel pressure, probably because he's a kid, right? So he's playing loose. Um, he has been absolutely money through the uprights. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me, frankly, if this game came down to a field goal as it has throughout the postseason for the Bengals. And Evan McPherson was the one who was able to score these three points for his team. But that's field goals we talked at the top is worth three points. And these occur when the offense is near the end zone, but have gotten to fourth down and elect to kick a field goal for these three points. The defense tries to obviously block the kick and sometimes it works out, but if it doesn't, the offense tries to get that ball between the goal posts, which is what I called the uprights, also known as the uprights. Believe it or not, kickers Adam Vinatieri, uh, what he won two Super Bowls for the New England Patriots, kicking field goals as time expired. And I, I don't know, Liz, I don't know if you're able to make a prediction because of the other things you're involved with. I would not be surprised if this game comes down to a field goal. I totally agree with you. In fact, the spread on this game, the Rams are favored by four and a half points. So we know that a field goal is three points. It would not surprise me to see. I, I think the Bengals will cover that spread. I actually think I was at Radio Row, as I mentioned this week, and the overwhelming majority of people and obviously the public based on that spread believe the Rams are going to win. But it would not surprise me if the, Ram, if the Bengals surprised. And again, it was Evan McPherson who clinched the Lombardi trophy for the squad. And I call him Florida Gator, Evan McPherson. Ah, so, sure, uh, <laughs> sure. Big fan of that. And, and, you know, just a couple of terms, probably, you know, besides a punt return or a kickoff return, the next most exciting play in football, and you'll probably have heard the term before, a fumble. Mm. You'll probably hear it in this game. Now, that's when a uh, offensive player, the running back, might drop the ball. Wide receiver could catch the ball, get a vicious hit, and fumble it. Or the quarterback could get hit from the blindside ball comes popping out. When a team fumbles the ball, that means anybody on the field could jump on that ball. They could advance it uh, defensively and run it back for a touchdown. And that's one term uh, we will probably hear at least once in this game, a fumble. So Liz, uh, another term, which I guess we might hear a lot. And why don't you tell the listeners, you know, could come at the end of the game, what a bomb is. Oh, a bomb is just a very deep pass that the quarterback throws down the field. Um, 
similar to a Hail Mary, although a Hail Mary usually happens at the end of a half or at the end of the game, which is more of a desperation bomb, if you will. But a bomb means, though, that the pass was caught and converted by the wide receiver. So it's a gorgeous deep pass that, again, can sometimes be a Hail Mary. The Hail Mary becomes a bomb if the receiver is able to contain the ball and convert on it. Yeah, I guess... A Hail Mary was always a bomb, but a bomb isn't necessarily always a Hail Mary. That's right. There you go. So onside kick is something you could see. Now, most likely we've seen it once. I think once in history, a team did it to start the second half. I believe I can't recall what Super Bowl that was, but most likely in this game, the only time you'll see an onside kick is if one of the teams is trailing as we get towards the end of the game. And what an onside kick is, they kick the ball 10 yards. It has to go 10 yards. Then the team kicking could attempt to recover the ball and get the ball back to their offense. So that's something you may see here at the end of the game. It's a desperation play, not a a large success rate on uh, this. But, you know, you got to try everything, especially in the Super Bowl. And something, the last thing I think you might hear a lot of, though, I don't know, with these two coaches, maybe not. This isn't Andy Reid, who usually struggles (laughs) with time management, but time management is a thing. I struggle with time management in my life, but it is not a good thing to do uh, during a football game, usually called a four-minute or two-minute offense. This is when the team with the ball does not huddle as they're typically losing and need to score quickly. Could also be called a hurry-up offense. That is very true, and we'll definitely see some of these teams running a hurry-up style of offense, even when they just want to pick up the pace to the game and maybe get that offense out of some sluggishness and everything. And I'll tell you, Liz, you say you don't work time management into your life, but I know how hectic this week has been for you being on Radio Row, being there in Los Angeles, covering the Super Bowl. So I think you have excellent time management because we've taken up a lot of your time. We're so thrilled to have had you join us for this very special football 101 for the Ira cast and everything. And uh, I guess happy Super Bowling to you for the rest of your hectic week. And you'll be there, what, on the field enjoying the game or in the stands? I'll be in the stands and the, the media area. There's like an area for all of the press to, to sit. So I'll be in that area trying my hardest not to, you know, here's a, you're not supposed to, when you sit in that area, show any expression when something happens. Mm, interesting. You're, tr- <laughs> you're trying to be unbiased. Oh, I am not good at it. Like, <laughs> I, I, you know, you're not, you're not showing biased. You are just a, a journalist or a media professional observing uh, a contest between two different teams. Um, but it is definitely like I, I, I've, <laughs> I was at the um, 49ers Chiefs game in Miami two years ago and had teeth marks in my knuckles where I literally bit my knuckle to like stop myself from reacting. Ooh, wow. So it, it's, it's going to, I'm really excited for this game. The halftime show is pretty legendary, particularly because it's in California, which I like to call it the uh, the Andre Young coaching tree is on full display. You've got <laughs> Dr. Dre, obviously, and Snoop Dogg and Mary J. Blige and Eminem and Kendrick Lamar. So it's going to be an event. And, you know, the fact that we're back in person for the first time in two years is also just adding to the energy that you're feeling in the city. 
uh, in the streets. And I, I'm imagining that a lot of that will spill over onto the field. And now this gorgeous community of yours can hopefully experience it on a deeper level after listening to this. And Liz, now, will you be live tweeting during the game? And if not, just tell the listeners where they can follow you uh, when it's not the Super Bowl going on as well. I don't generally live tweet because I like to live in the present and put down, especially for a big game or a big moment. I put down my phone so I can experience it in real life. Maybe if something happens or something pops into my brain that I think would help someone have um, a more enhanced experience, I'll tweet something. But you can still follow me on Twitter. I've got tons of content from um, this week, as well as whatever happens game day. Um, but again, I'm not, not going to play by play it. I mean, you, you, the broadcasters are paid plenty of money to sound it out for everybody. Um, but you can, and I would ask if you could, um, follow me on both Twitter and Instagram. It's the ha same handle at Liz Loza underscore FF. That's at Liz L O Z A underscore FF. Perfect. And make sure uh, you follow Liz. <laughs> yeah, that would be awful to be at the game and you're busy tweeting and you miss like the biggest play live. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to write notes down if I'm going to have, you know, we're going to do a post game analysis, etc. on uh, on Yahoo Sports and on Yahoo Fantasy. So I like to jot down notes so I can remember particularly what time was on the clock. I remember that being a big deal, like, because obviously, you know, uh, 10 minutes into the first quarter is a very different feel than with three minutes left yeah. on the clock in the fourth quarter. One other thing that we'll see a lot on defense, and I'm going to let you explain this because a lot of people in the blindness community have come up to me and said, what's a blitz? They have more guys rushing the quarterback than offensive linemen can block. A blitz is very much like it sounds, you are just bringing it all. So all of the, a lot of the defenders, their job is basically whether they're in the secondary, in the middle of the field as linebackers, and obviously the full defensive line, trying to overwhelm and overpower the opposing team's offensive line. So the objective is to have more defensive players rushing the quarterback than O-linemen available to block the quarterback. You just bring the whole on blitz and try to run over that O-line and get to the QB. But obviously, if you do that, you leave the middle of the field and your secondary open. So if the quarterback can escape the blitz or see it coming and get a pass out quick to a pass catcher that is further down the field, you're gambling because then that he had that pass catcher, that receiver or tight end, sometimes a running back doesn't have any defensive players on him and can take it all the way to the house, which is what we call the end zone. And that's the goal, pun intended. Thanks, Liz and Brian, for Football 101. We hope this will add to your enjoyment of today's game. We do have a recommendation for you if you'd like to listen to the game. We won't be giving any visual interpreting of the game itself. We will leave that to the sportscasters like Liz. But what we are going to do is recommend the Westwood One Radio Network. So if you are listening on one of your smart speakers or radio apps, you can go to Westwood One's national feed of the Super Bowl. That's probably going to be on many of your local sports stations. In Brian's 
professional opinion. These folks do the best job at play-by-play and color commentary, so we hope you will enjoy that. Special shout-out to Yahoo Sports. They have been wonderful at accessibility in the past several years, and they're the producers of The Blind Fantasy Football League mini-documentary. If you'd like to follow Liz Losa, you can do so by using her social handle on Twitter at LizLosa underscore FF. That's L-I-Z-L-O-Z-A slash FF for fantasy football. You can follow Brian Fischler at Blind Gator. That's at B-L-I-N-D-G-A-T-O-R on Twitter. You can also hear him on That Real Blind Tech Show. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter as well at IRAIO. That's A-I-R-A-I-O. And for more on visual interpreting, visit our website, www.ira.io. This has been Janine Stanley for IRAIO.